I wish to read for you the opening verses of the eighth chapter of the Gospel of John. This is the Word of God. At dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. Now the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group, and they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin behind. Soli Deo Gloria, God alone be the glory. Amen. Let us pray. Give me Jesus, Lord. Give me Jesus. You can have all the rest. Just give me Jesus. Amen. Should ever you have the chance to visit the great crystal cathedral out in California, there is one particular sight there which I wish for you to see. Out on the cathedral grounds, there is a magnificent set of statues placed right in the midst of a large reflecting pool. These great works of art, sculpted from bronze, portray in an unforgettable way the gripping story we encounter in the 8th chapter of the Gospel of John. When you view this panoramic sculpture, you see men with angry faces, their arms drawn back, ready to throw stones. You see a frightened woman, vulnerable, defenseless, partially disrobed, shame and fear written all over her face. And then you see Jesus kneeling down, writing with his finger on the ground. Now, throughout the centuries, Bible scholars have engaged in endless speculation 
about what it was that Jesus was writing on the ground. No one seems to know. I will be bold enough to declare to you today that I think I do know what Jesus was writing on the ground. Because I believe that what Jesus wrote in the sand that day, later on, he wrote in blood. Now, at the Crystal Cathedral, if you look at those magnificent sculptures, you will note that there is an equally magnificent inscription. It reads, Love without condemnation. That is a splendid summary of what Jesus is trying to teach us in this great incident. He is reminding us that he loves us without condemnation. Oh, what a word for us to hear. What I want you to understand is that that means that while it is true that the love of Jesus Christ will not let us off, the love of Jesus Christ will not let us go either. Now, from that great truth and from this story, I wish to draw three messages. First, a message to the judgmental. Look in the mirror. In the Bible, we are told that the scribes and the Pharisees dragged this woman into the presence of Jesus and said to him, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. The law says she is to be stoned. What do you say? At that point, what did Jesus do? Amazingly enough, he simply knelt down and began to write with his finger on the ground. Well, that didn't deter the scribes and the Pharisees. They kept peppering him with questions. They kept demanding a response. After a moment or two, Jesus stood up, looked at them, and in an amazingly concise collection of words, articulated perfectly the problem with being judgmental in life. Jesus said, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. In other words, Jesus is saying, before you condemn someone else, look deeply into your own heart. That's the message for the judgmental. Look in the mirror. Now, please, please, do not think that at this point I am speaking to someone else. I am speaking directly to you, to you, to you, and yes, to me. Because you and I both know that we have a tendency in life to be judgmental. We know, don't we, that when we hear something about someone else, we tend almost instinctively to think the worst. We tend almost instinctively 
to presume guilt until innocence may be proved. Oh yes, that's the way we are. Look in the mirror. Check up on yourself. When you hear a piece of really good news about someone else, how often do you pass that along? My guess is not very frequently. Oh, but when you hear a juicy little piece of gossip, how often do you pass that along and sometimes even enlarging upon it? Oh, come on, dear friends, let's be honest here. We are in church after all. Let's be honest here. We do love, don't we, to judge or prejudge other people. Ah, uh, yes, we do love to throw stones, if not literally, then at least figuratively. We do love to throw stones, don't we? I want to suggest to you, however, that it is a risky, dangerous thing to judge or prejudge others in life. How do I make that point in a way that you will remember? Let me try this. Years ago in Boston, Massachusetts, a woman in a faded gingham dress and a man in a threadbare homespun suit walked into the outer office of the president of Harvard University requesting an appointment to see the president. The secretary on duty in a moment's glance recognized that these backwoods country hicks had no place really at Harvard and certainly had no right to request time of the president of the university. And so she said to the couple, the president is going to be busy virtually all of the day. And the woman immediately said, that's all right. We'll just sit and wait until he is available. And so they sat down. The secretary proceeded to ignore them, ignored them through all of the hours of the day, and they never left. They just sat there. Finally, the day was beginning to draw to a close, and so the secretary stepped into the office of the president and informed him about this couple waiting outside, and she suggested that maybe he should just go out himself and inform them that he just did not have time to meet with them. When the president walked out and saw the couple there, immediately the woman stepped up and said, Sir, we had a son who attended Harvard for a year and he loved it. However, he has been killed in a tragic accident and we would very much like to erect a memorial to him on the campus. The president looked at the couple in disdain and said, Madam, we can't build a statue for everyone who attended Harvard and died. The place would look like a cemetery. And the woman said, well, we, we didn't really want to build a statue. Uh, we were thinking about something a little more, perhaps a building. The president rolled his eyes and he said, My dear lady, you may not be aware of the fact that we have more than seven and a half million dollars invested in the physical plant of Harvard University. I don't think you realize what you're dealing with here. I'm sorry, we just can't help you.
With that, the woman turned to her husband and said, is that all it takes to build a university? Seven and a half million dollars? Why don't we just build our own? And the husband said, yes, by all means. And the two of them turned and walked away. Ultimately, the two of them traveled to Palo Alto, California. And there they did indeed build a university of their own. And they named it after their son. You see the woman in the faded gingham dress and the man in the threadbare homespun suit were Mr. and Mrs. Leland Stanford. Make a note of that. It's a risky, dangerous thing to ever judge or prejudge someone else. That's the message for the judgmental. Look in the mirror. Jesus said, if any of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone. Next, there is the message to the sinful. Look to the Savior. The Bible tells us that Jesus, having said that to the scribes and Pharisees, immediately bent down again and for the second time began to write with his finger in the sand. And as he did, one by one, the scribes and the Pharisees began to drop their stones and turn and walk away. Until after a short while, there was no one left except Jesus and this woman. And Jesus then straightened up, the Bible says, and turned to the woman and said, Woman, has no one condemned you? And she says, no one, sir. And Jesus then said, neither do I condemn you. What an incredible moment this is. Get the picture, please. Here is this woman standing there in the midst of all of the shame of her sinfulness. And she looks at Jesus and the Savior proceeds to deliver to her a word of amazing, forgiving grace. Jesus says to her, Neither do I condemn you. Back during the Second World War, the great C.S. Lewis frequently would remind his fellow citizens in Great Britain to be forgiving of the German people. For that, C.S. Lewis was roundly criticized. For example, on one occasion, someone wrote to him, I wonder what you would do if you were a Pole or if you were a Jew. To which C.S. Lewis responded, I wonder that too. But you see, I'm not talking here about what I would do. I can do precious little. I am telling you what Christianity is. I didn't invent it. But right at the very center of it, 
I find these words, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. C.S. Lewis was right, wasn't he? Right at the very center of our Christian faith, there is this amazing, forgiving, gracious love of Jesus Christ. Clarence Edward McCartney used to say, forgiveness is the most beautiful word in the English language. I don't think I agree with that. No, I rather think that the most beautiful word in the English language is the word Jesus. How sweet the name of Jesus sounds in a believer's ear. So I don't think forgiveness is the most beautiful word in the English language. But I'll tell you this. Forgiveness is the most expensive word in the English language. Think, just think what it cost God. It cost God laying aside eternity and taking on the mantle of this life. It cost God laying aside peace and taking on pain. It cost God laying aside all of the glory, all of the splendor of heaven, and taking on a cross of rough wood and blood and sweat and tears. Forgiveness always, always exacts a terrible cost. But my beloved people, here is what I want you to see and to hear and to never forget. It is the cost of forgiveness, which was, is, and always will be paid in full by the same Jesus Christ who granted his amazing forgiving grace to the woman caught in adultery. Here is the message to the sinful. Look to the Savior. Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. And then there is the message to the fearful. Look to the future. Jesus said to this woman, Neither do I condemn you. But please notice, Jesus didn't leave it there. He went on to add another line, another incredible line. Jesus said to her, Go now and leave your life of sin behind. Catch that, please. Jesus did not approve of what she had done. He did not condemn her for it. He forgave her for it. However, he forgave her with the challenge to change the way she was living. I want you to grasp the fact that that is the way the amazing forgiving grace of God works in our experience. God is always at work trying to change us, to change the way we live. Now, we can ignore his love. We can reject his grace. We can refuse to be changed. We can go on sinning just as we please. Sadly, tragically, so many, many people do. 
take the case of Jubal Early. He was a Confederate general in the Civil War. He was from Virginia. He was opposed to Virginia seceding from the Union. But when Virginia went, he went with it. Ultimately, he became a significant leader in the battles of Bull Run and Manassas. However, in the course of the war, Jubal Early became an angry, bitter, vindictive man filled with a consuming hatred for the North. He had no room in his heart for forgiveness and reconciliation of any kind. A couple of years after the war was over, it was necessary for him to travel to Washington, D.C. on business. Several of his friends, very much aware of his angry, bitter feelings, decided that they would go along with him in order to try to keep him out of trouble. When the train arrived at the station in Washington, D.C., they stepped out onto the platform, and there on the platform was a young Yankee soldier still wearing his tattered uniform. He had no legs. One arm was gone. His face was hideously scarred. In his one hand, he was holding up a cup, begging for money. Suddenly, Jubal Early walked over and dropped some coins into the cup. His friends were amazed. They said, we never expected to see you do something like that. And Jubal Early wheeled around and laughed a cruel laugh. And with the hard edge of bitterness in his voice, he said, I gave him the money because that's the first Yankee I've seen shot up to my satisfaction. Dear God, how savage. And heaven help us. There are so many like that in the world today. Irreverent cartoons published last September, now being used by those whose minds and hearts are filled with pure, unadulterated hate, are inciting thousands upon thousands to angry, savage, bloodthirsty violence. Heaven help us indeed. Now contrast that, please, with the example of Robert E. Lee also from Virginia, also opposed to secession, but when Virginia went, he went with it. After the Civil War, Robert E. Lee gave himself to an extraordinary effort to seek and secure forgiveness from both sides in order to heal the nation's wounds, in order to build a new tomorrow. At one point, Robert E. Lee happened to encounter Jubal Early. Robert E. Lee said to him, General Early, do you still hold fast to your unforgiving spirit? And Jubal Early responded, I most certainly do. I will never forgive. And Robert E. Lee said, then, sir, I hope that you will never need forgiveness yourself. For he who cannot forgive destroys the bridge over which he himself must pass. Carve that on your heart, please. He who cannot forgive destroys the bridge 
over which he himself must pass. Dear friends, you and I are living in a world desperately in need of being changed. We're living in a world twisted, stained, perverted by the forces of evil and by the sinfulness of humankind. Make no mistake, this world doesn't need just to be reformed and renewed and restored. Oh, no. This world doesn't need just to be repaired. This world needs to be reborn. And that is precisely what Jesus offers to us. He offers to us the opportunity of a new birth, a new life. He offers to us the opportunity to change the way we live and the way we love. So this story delivers the eternal message that the love of Jesus Christ will not let us off, but the love of Jesus Christ will not let us go either. That's the message to the fearful. Look to the future. Jesus said, go now and leave your life of sin behind. <laughs> Surely you would agree. This is an amazing story of an amazing grace. And I would suggest to you that that amazing forgiving grace of Jesus Christ demands a response. It demands our total commitment. His love, so amazing, so divine, demands our soul, our life, yes, our all. By the way, do you remember that I told you that I think I know what Jesus wrote on the ground? History doesn't tell us. John doesn't tell us. Scholars do not tell us. But I think I know. You see, I believe that what Jesus wrote in the sand with his finger later on, he wrote on the cross with his blood. Two words, not guilty. Pray with me, please. Oh, God on high, hear my prayer. The amazing grace of Jesus Christ has saved a wretch like me and what is true for me is also true for these, my sisters and my brothers.